Please take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 26. So, chapter 14, verse 26. And I want to read from verse 26 all the way to verse 42. We saw last week that Jesus was there with his, the betrayer, or the traitor, at the table. Now they're going to relocate to the Mount of Olives. In verse 26 and following, it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, I will not be. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to, the, to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the night might pass, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, and their, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will strengthen us with your word and give us your encouragement and your insight. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you'll notice that there is movement in this passage of Scripture. We are moving here from Jerusalem, going into the Mount of Olives and into the scene of Gethsemane, the very famous scene where Jesus prays and where he is betrayed. The way I want to break down this passage of Scripture is to look at the striking, the stumbling, the struggling, and the sleeping. Notice, first of all, there is this striking passage here. Jesus says to them, All of you be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep 
will be scattered. Notice that this is happening, this will happen, because Scripture has predicted it. Uh, God has ordained it. It's going to happen. And he's quoting here the Old Testament from the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7. And who is, let me ask you this question, who is the I? Who is saying, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered? The answer is, it's God. It's the Lord of hosts. God is the one who is going to strike this shepherd. Striking the shepherd is, is the father striking the son, putting him to death, striking him down, sending him through these, these sufferings. The reason why is because Jesus is your substitute. What he should do to you, what God should, should do to you, he has done to Jesus Christ. That's what's unfolding here. And of course, when the shepherd is struck and down, these sheep, they're weak. They are going to scatter, and they're going to completely abandon him. In this place where Jesus Christ will first be struck with the betrayal of, of Judas, it's called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means pressed oil. Now, the reason why it's important that it's called pressed oil here is because this is the Mount of Olives. So this is a place where they would go, get some olives as the raw fruit, and they would press the oil and make, make olive oil here. What's important about this is the, the flow of the, we can call it the raw material or the wine. We saw last week at the table. Now we're moving where? Into a place where they make olive oil with the olive trees all around. The flow of this pattern is very similar to what you saw in the, in the temple in the Old Testament. When you go into the first holy place, there was on the right side, there was some wine that they would pour out for the Lord or honor for the Lord. The priest could not have it at that time. But the wine and the bread there were symbols of offerings for the Lord on the table of showbread. When you go into the holiest place in Solomon's temple, the wood that they used to carve the cherubim and for the doorposts and all this at the, in the holiest place was olive wood. Well, Jesus Christ is coming into this wine, uh, or excuse me, olive press garden, and he is going to be pressed. He is going to start feeling the pressure. He is going to start feeling the pain. So it's a similar pattern of going into this Holy of Holies, but it's a Holy of Holies where Jesus Christ is going in to give his life. Of course, in the Holy of Holies, they would go and kill the animal and sprinkle blood. Well, that's the same pattern here. Jesus is being struck by his father and he's going to be offering himself as the substitute, the sacrifice. Notice also the passive language and how it refers to later what Jesus is going to do. Passively, he will be struck. He's not striking himself in the sense of his father, but his father's doing the striking. And then he'll be raised from the dead by his father, by the spirit. And he says this, I will go before you into Galilee. So after he lays his life passively, he will actively lead them. So there is this mission of still leading his disciples through death and resurrection, through his own death into his resurrection 
And he has the same message for us. Just like he tells them, I will go before you to Galilee, Jesus Christ tells the church in the Great Commission, I will always be with you. Therefore, go into all the world. So we see the striking here in verses 26 to 28. Now we come to the stumbling. You'll notice that the stumbling is referred to concerning Peter. Peter was one of those emotional guys. One of those guys who spoke frankly, vocally, and thought he was stronger than he was. He says, Assuredly, assuredly, I say to you today, Jesus says this, even this night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. Because Peter said, I will not stumble. I will go with you even to death, he says in verse 31. There's a couple of interpretations about this cock crowing twice. One interpretation is probably the most common, and that it was an actual rooster that crows, because that word is, in the Greek, it is used for a, for a rooster crowing. But one objection to this interpretation is that roosters would not be around the temple. If you've ever had chickens, which I've had before, when they get around your house, they defile everything, okay? And Jewish people would have been kicking chickens out and all of that and not letting chickens or roosters around because Jesus is going to be brought into the temple precincts for, for, a, uh, for his trial. Another interpretation from this passage, about this passage of Scripture, which I find more favorable, and I think I agree with this one more, is that is the cock crow is a reference to the Roman legion, the Roman uh, horn that they would blow at night at 6, 9, 12, 3, and 6 in the morning. Um, that would be the changing of the guard every three hours. And one of the words for the three-hour clock, clock or announcing or horn blowing was the uh, a call of the cock. The cock would crow at three o'clock in the morning. There would be another uh, announcing or a cock crowing at six in the morning, the, the Roman legion announcing that. You'll notice that this is to support this interpretation Turn with me to Mark chapter 13, verse 35. There might be a reference to this to support this, that Jesus is not referring to an animal, but actually to the Roman blowing of that changing of the guard. In verse 35 of Mark 13, he says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come. At evening, that would be nine o'clock, at midnight, at the cock crow, right there. That could be the three o'clock hour. Or in the morning. You see, Jesus seems to be given a time reference to starting at 9, 12, 3, and then the 6. So one interpretation is that, Je- is that Peter would have denied Jesus um, before 3 o'clock in the morning when the cock would crow. Then another interpretation is Jesus says here that you, the cock will crow twice. Well, it could be a reference to three in the morning and then later at six in the morning, maybe a, a, a literal rooster crowed or another horn blew. I like the time schedule interpretation of this primarily because of the specificity. 
It's like Jesus knows that at this time, he's saying at this time, you will deny me. So we're not waiting for this ambiguous time when an animal, a, a rooster is going to crow sometime before uh, daybreak. So um, that's a very possible interpretation. It shows, it shows how specific things are happening. This also fits with the time schedule of the crucifixion, meaning this, that things happen at the three o'clock hour, or excuse me, I think the six o'clock hour, the nine o'clock hour. Uh, the timing of things is very specific there, even in the crucifixion, which fits even with Peter's denial. So put it this way. That night, uh, there wasn't even probably daybreak. And it was that night that Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in a, in a later passage. Peter stumbles. Peter comes to a point where the environment is stronger and he could stand. Um, he really thought that he could go all the way to death. You know, be proud to be a martyr with his leader. And he is coming face to face with his own personal limitations. And we're going to see how he repents of that. Judas came face to face with his own personal limitations, but he didn't repent. The key difference, listen to this, between Judas and Peter is repentance. From a human perspective, okay, from a human perspective, looking at it from that point, is one repented, the other one didn't. When you come face to face with your own limitations, when you come into environments where you fall flat on your face, always remember, be like a Peter and, and repent. Seek the repentance. Okay? Don't choose the Judas route. Thirdly, let's look at the struggling here in the garden. This is Jesus struggling. What's, what's ironic is that Peter, the prophecy of Peter's failure is coming. But then immediately, right after Peter's failure is predicted, we see Jesus himself struggling. Look at this, verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He, Jesus, began to be troubled. Deeply, deeply distressed. In another gospel, it says he started to sweat drops of blood. And then he even asked his father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. In the Old Testament, a cup that he would give to the nations would be a cup of judgment. He would give to Samaria. He'd give to Jerusalem. He would say, I'm going to make you drink the cup. That's what God is saying. He's going to bring this cup of judgment on the nations and fulfill his wrath upon them. Jesus knows that he's going to have to drink the cup of suffering. And this is physical, okay? All the beatings he's going to go through, the crucifixion, the physical death, that's one dimension only of it. But also he's going to drink the cup of hell in the spiritual realm. The relationship between him and his father will be severed on the cross Something has never happened in all eternity, never will happen again. And he knows he's going to be blamed and satisfy hell for your sin. And yet he is struggling to do it. Now think about that. <clears throat> Why? This is the Lord God of heaven and earth. Shouldn't there be, shouldn't this be painless? <laughs> there shouldn't be no struggle. This is showing you the real 
humanity of Christ. At the same time, it's showing you the sinlessness of Christ. Here's what's encouraging. Just because you're struggling with something doesn't necessarily mean it's a sinful act of what you're doing. Okay? I think there's a wise application to deduce from this. And, and <clears throat> sure, we may struggle with sin because we are sinners. I get that. And that's understandable. But there are some situations where it is overwhelming. It's a struggle. But don't always and only equate that if something is, if you're outmatched with something, that, okay, therefore it's just because I'm a sinner. Uh, some things are just simply beyond your capacity as a human. Jesus Christ is, is coming face to face with this. And here's what's really important. This is a window into his human nature. And theologians have wrestled with this since early church history. And I remember studying this in seminary a lot. Because it has to do with the doctrine of Christ. Who is Christ? And here's the foundation of this. Jesus Christ is one person. But he is also two natures. He is 100% human. He is 100% divine. And what this means is, is that Jesus Christ has two wills. He has a human will and he has a divine will. What we're seeing here in this passage is a window into his human will is being conformed to his divine will. And it's a struggle to bring his human will into conformity with his divine will to go to the cross. And he sinlessly, without sin, he struggles and he brings it in to conformity. That's the orthodox um, view and explanation of this passage. And it shows you how, how truly painful pain is in the human body. It shows you how also Jesus Christ can sympathize with our weaknesses. He came to, I'm sure Jesus got the flu one day. Okay, Jesus experienced limitations of his human, of his human flesh. Uh, one limitation is death. He, he brought that human flesh he had all the way to the point of death. He suffered it. That's why the incarnation is so important. This is why your Savior is two things. Not only is He strong, that divine will, He's also very, very, very sensitive. Uh, He's compassionate. He hears. He knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to, to lose in the eyes of the world. Meaning, look, look at that loser dying on the cross. Look. I've lost the relationship with all these sheep that have left me behind. Look, I've lost the relationship with my eternal Father. He's forsaken me on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every pit of emotional, physical, spiritual, painful hell you can think about that you might ever have or any human have, Jesus did. That's what's happening here. That's why Jesus Christ has to go to the to the other extent, to to redeem a fallen humanity. So the struggling here is is for our sake, but it's also medicinal, and it's a type of medicine for us to know that your Lord, as strong as He is, 
He knows that what it's like to struggle. And of course, the famous passage in, of, or the famous prayer where he says, not what I will, but what you will. That's speaking of the human will that he has. There's a desire to not do it, but he owns that desire and he conforms that desire to say, I will do what you want me to do, Father. I will go and lay down my life. As he is struggling, what are the disciples doing? They are sleeping. You'll notice that in, I had a seminary professor mention this, that in a lot of Jesus' most intense moments, the disciples were most weak or most foolish. Now you think about the, <clears throat> the boat. They're foolish. Lord, you want us to die? And he calms the wind. They're scared. Here he is struggling in tents. He is sweating drops of blood. He knows that he is going to go somewhere that his human nature does not want to go. He has to conform that to his will, his divine will. And yet what's happening? Jesus is doing this, and yet they are sleeping. It's emphasizing the weakness of their flesh. And Mark will emphasize it well numerically, because he will mention it three times. Look in verse 41. He came the third time and asked them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in His hands of sinners. Let us arise and go. See, my betrayer is at hand. Another aspect of this is to appreciate the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sleep is like a foreshadow of their withdrawal or their denial or their fleeing. They're not standing guard. Jesus is going to go alone to the cross by himself there, and they are just going to, they're just too weak for this. The Lord's leadership is always stronger than ours. So we see we go from the struggling Christ to the leadership of Christ. Right whenever his disciples are sleeping, they cannot handle the pressure, and they, have, they will abandon their Lord. Judas is, is coming up there, and he's being delivered into the hands of of evil, and he's going to be handed over to be crucified. The great summary of this is Gethsemane, the pressing of Christ. Just like you press olives to get the oil out, just like you cut an animal to squeeze the blood out, Jesus Christ is going through this pressing phase, and now he comes out by himself. He's going to be handed over, and he's going to be slaughtered and killed like an animal. I will strike the shepherd, God says. And the reason why he does this is because he loves you so much. You are his bride. You are his church. And Jesus Christ pursued this as a rescue mission, saying, I want to rescue you. I want to lay down my life for you. Atone for hell for you. That's why Jesus Christ goes to this infinite extent so he can both have compassion for you, but also victory for you and in your place. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for our time together. We give you thanks for the victory of Christ our Savior. We give you thanks of how Jesus Christ did what we could not do. We cannot atone for our own sins, and we are weak in the flesh, just as the, the disciples were. We give you thanks, Lord, that you comfort us with our great high priest, 
who will lead us and guide us in every stage of life and help us even grow in more maturity to the person of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.